My name is S.F. Armstrong, and this is my novel, Ace of Clubs. Today, we'll be reading the author's note and the first chapter. Hope you enjoy. Author's note. The United States has, for decades, been a country that played plenty of soccer but never reaped the benefits of it. We win most of the Olympics we are in and host many of the world's most popular sports. Yet the number one youth sport seems to go missing for men in this country. Until recently, not a single player from the United States had ever been on a UEFA Champions League winning team. First American player who won a UEFA Champions League title only came on as a substitute in the final minutes of the match after the result had been more or less decided. Yet the United States is also the country who finally broke ground on the FIFA scandal when countless other nations knew about what was going on, did not have concrete evidence or the desire, in some cases, to do anything about it. So it only seems natural someone like me, who grew up a misfit among outliers in the sport, would want to write a book exposing the rampant corruption the game often turns a blind eye to. My soccer experience has provided me with countless friends, cultural exchanges, and opportunities to prove people wrong. While writing has been something people had often noted I had some talent for, soccer was where I challenged expectations, while writing was where I lived up to them. The thing about these two aspects of my life was I can gain more by combining them than I ever could by keeping them separate. With writing, I have only ever had a fleeting glimpse of community and creative writing classes or artist collectives it did not last. I've also never had people assume my writing would be terrible just by looking at me. I usually had to do something first to warrant that kind of assumption. Yet with soccer, people always assumed I would be the worst hit on the field because my body type was more suited to American football than to European football. However, when I did something notable, people would light up and congratulate me in a way they never did with my writing. At least they reacted that way until they got to know me more and saw I was not terrible at playing. As painful as being constantly judged by my appearance when playing soccer was, I did not quit even after I had a back injury that put me in a wheelchair for a short time. I played recreational soccer when I could not play for the high school team. I played pickup when there was zero chance of me ever making a college team, and I just kept playing for the sake of playing. That is not to say I play consistently or constantly, but it is a habit I have not let die, one of only three, in fact. The thing about my writing is I have never had to face adversity. also do not have much of a writing career, so the connection seems self-explanatory. No one is going to hand anything to you, by the same token no one accomplishes anything alone. The only successful team I was ever on in soccer did not have a star player. We were actually like the bad news bears of the league, but that was also the team where I scored the most goals. As I thought about what I wanted my life to look like after graduating from college into a pandemic, I could not shake the feeling this was when I should write that book I have always wanted to write. Writing a book has been my dream for as long as I have been self-aware. No idea where or when the idea came to me, but it has been something I have always wanted to do. Growing up, Wayne Rooney was my favorite player because he was the only player with my body type. And he played for the most popular team in the United States, Manchester United. He was even on a few soccer gear pamphlets I got at a camp once. Rooney was also a player who reinvented himself several times during his career. So why could I not do the same? That was when I decided I had to write this book because regardless of whether I met expectations, I realized the only thing worse than failing to live up to your own ambition is never trying at all. If I do fail to live up to my standard, who says that has to be the end of it? So my greatest hope for this book is not that people come away with the same thoughts and feelings about the sport I do, but that they analyze the game with all of its beauty as well as its tragedy. And then with all the nuance a work of fiction can provide, where a non-fiction book can be limited, I hope people can make an informed decision about how they want to relate to soccer, 
and the sporting culture surrounding it. Chapter 1, He's Coming Home By J.T. The last time England fans uttered the phrase, It's coming home, spelled disaster for the national team. England's national team stood at the peak of a mountain, only to fall off the edge a bit. Now, in a similarly ominous turn of fortune, Westminster FC fans have gone from Giovanni Santoro, the mastermind who has won the trophy at every club he has graced with his presence, to managerless. Fortunately, the only phrase fans can utter is, he's coming home, with a paying sigh. The question is, who exactly is coming home? London. One never feels more alone than when they are surrounded by people, and yet they find themselves invisible. Kane Shaw was on a London underground train, heading to his new job. He'd forgotten to shave his scruffy beard several days in a row, and his suit wrinkled from sleeping in it the night before. He wished his ruffled hair could pass for something other than bedhead or a drunken makeover. Perhaps, given how often photographers seemed to point cameras at him, Kane should have gussied up. Considering he had woken up to find he had slept clear through his alarm on what was maybe the most important day of his life, he hoped for forgiveness for skipping the non-essential parts of his morning routine. As he scanned the subway car, he was at ease because everyone seemed to mind their own business. The only people who seemed to give him any sort of reaction were those he had been staring at for a little too long. He was new to the whole subway car etiquette practice. Apparently, staring too long in someone's general direction, even if you were gazing into space with no recognition someone was in your eyeline, was not well received. It had been a few months since he had moved an even shorter amount of time since he started using public transit, but he was getting acclimated quickly. Or at least, Kane thought he was. He had no experience to compare this to. Even when he had lived in New York City, where he grew up, he took town cars everywhere. He supposed the hurdles of public transit were ordinary problems for ordinary people, but he had never been like other people. He had never been normal. As he noticed his stop at Westminster Station was approaching on the map that decorated the wall across from him, he decided he should take one last look at the milk carts he had prepared. He was hungover after all. While this was not his first time stumbling through a speaking engagement with a haze hanging over him, and might have been the most important. This was his chance to make things right with his father, his sister, and with the fans. So Kane sifted through his note cards one last time to get a grip on the topics he felt the press would bring up. Kane assumed the first thing they would ask him was how he felt about Giovanni Santoro quitting in the middle of last season after seeing the photo of Kane and his daughter Giada on page six outside the clinic. The context was there was a pregnancy scare, and given how religious Giovanni was, the news of an unplanned pregnancy with a party boy as the father was far from welcome. Context aside, Kane doubted the fans cared all that much about his choice with Giovanni's daughter, but he knew they would care about what Giovanni did in response. By quitting in the middle of the season, Westminster FC tumbled down the league table and were relegated to the second division. Kane did not really understand what that meant. When his father froze his bank account, he knew it was something massive. The currently hungover playboy had gotten into trouble plenty of times. He even recalled a time when he was in boarding school at an all-boys school in Canada, when he threw a massive party resulting in a few people getting their stomachs pumped, throwing the girls partying around campus like they were at a frat house, and one bathroom stall getting clogged until it flooded the entire restroom. Given all the trouble Kane was responsible for with that one party, one might have expected a talking to her reaction, but instead, Kane did not even get an acknowledgement from his old man. Orion Shaw, the football club magnate, as well as his father, simply paid for the damages and said nothing more. Needless to say, Kane was a little surprised his father took an interest in the Page Six publication, but that only made Kane realize the gravity of the situation. Clearly, this was a huge mistake and something he would have to answer for. Kane assumed his judgment would come before an angry mob calling for his head, which would have been reason enough to drink, but even Kane could not deceive himself. 
into thinking that was why he did it. He drank last night because he always did whenever there was a problem in front of him. No matter how big the issue was, it was the go-to response to any incoming hardship. This only made Kane focus on his milk rig that much more. He knew his only hope was to cling onto the life raft of a planned speech now that his head was pounding and he had already done the damage. He would have to push past this liquor-induced sickness, or he had no hope of getting his bank account back from his father. The only problem was, what do you say to a group of people who do not want to hear you say anything? And worse still, how do you address the elephant in the room without taking any responsibility? Well, he had a few short minutes to figure that out. He furiously shuffled his note cards to go over the points he had scribbled last night as he downed bottle after bottle. He concluded what sounded good at the time was nothing short of gibberish at the moment. His cards were full of barely legible writing, and what he was able to read contained arbitrary truisms like do not take responsibility or misdirect, which he already knew. Thus, Public Relations 101 went back into a corner like this as far as he was concerned. Just as he was about to toss his cards across the car in a rage, he heard the announcement, next stop, Westminster Station. He knew Judgment Day was upon him. As his body grew increasingly tense in anticipation of what came next, Kane pulled himself to his feet and trudged to the nearest door as the subway screeched to a halt. He made his way off the train and noticed some teenagers looking at him. Something about their stare was hostile as they sat on a bench waiting for their departure. This was not a simple wandering eye situation like he had encountered during his commuting tenure. Are you Kane Shaw? Did you even have to ask? Kane ceased his movement and faced the teenager rapidly encroaching on his personal space. I got a present for you. Kane closed his eyes in anticipation of a baptism by fire as the boy spit in his face and hustled back toward his friends. The newly wet society pages star took a deep breath and wiped the saliva on his sleeve before turning away from the hooligans. I knew I should have brought the bottle with me. If you enjoyed this podcast episode and you're enjoying Ace of Clubs, then feel free to subscribe to the podcast where future episodes will be released. Otherwise, if you want the full copy, you can go to my website, sianchidewrites.com. That's spelled S-E-A-N-A-C-H-A-I-D-H, writes.com. And all of the details on how to purchase the book, as well as other updates about upcoming uh, future books, will be there. Thank you.